everyone, welcome back to Sustainability Speaks. We're your hosts, Stasia and Saskia. On today's podcast, we're excited to welcome Pete from Always Be Content. Pete, would you like to introduce yourself and give a brief overview of what you do? Yes, thank you, uh, Stadia and, and Saskia. Um, my background is really advertising. Um, if you went back into the mists of time, I started a career as a copywriter, um, worked both in the UK and in New York, and was a creative director of a New York ad agency. Um, and we started Always Be Content about five years ago, and the, the idea was to do something a bit different, um, to, to bring a more balanced view to the, the world of commerce and industry. Um, and that's really reflecting the name of the company. One, we we do try and leave, leave the world a better place and we found it. Um, but also we produce a lot of content for our clients. And a lot of our clients are interested in sustainability and um, and in ESG. So that's really where, where the sort of focus of, of, of that interest came from. And um, a couple of our guys are sort of uh, qualified and certified in business sustainability management. So it's something that the whole staff is really passionate about. And um, we think it's a, a good platform which to do good work for good clients and try and make the world better. So as you said that this is not your traditional background, how did you, um, how did Always Be Content originate and when did it originate? Well, we started the business about five years ago. My background was in agency management, um, creative agency management. And um, that if, you, if you've ever seen the, the TV series Mad Men, um, you'll know that that's a quite a peculiar world and it's changed quite dramatically over, over, over the years. And in some respects, the ad agency world hasn't kept pace with that. Um, it's still quite, a, you know, it's still quite an old-fashioned uh, management system. So, real realistically, I just wanted to do something different, something that was a bit, um, was a was a bit more fulfilling. And um, yeah, that was it. Really, there's no, there's no there's no more great secret to it than that. Um, I was in the advertising industry for a long time, and we still do a, a fair amount of advertising. I um, still do a fair amount of creative work and brand work for people, um, but we tend to have a, a pretty strong focus on sustainability and ESG and you know and good customer communications. The thing that the things that build um, long term profitable successful businesses really. Great, thank you so much for that introduction. Um, could you perhaps just go into a little bit more detail into into what the business's strategy and what its aims are? Because you do you did speak about how you're helping businesses um, inevitably convey the sustainable message in a better way. Um, but how are you actually doing that? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's, quite a, it's quite an unusual approach we have. Um, I, I, used to, I used to work in a PLC environment and um, that, that's, that's very much money driven. And um, you'd, you'd get to the end of the financial year and the PLC would suck all the money out of the agency and they would sort of say, well, what are, what are you gonna do next year? And you'd try and project forward. Um, and the visibility in the business tends to be you know, quite short, so you could project a couple of months forward. And then the, re- the rest of the 12, 12 months projections, financial projections would just be more or less fantasy, to be honest. And um, so when, when we started Always Be Content, we want to work with a different sort of model and we use the holacracy model. Um, I don't know if you know what that is, but basically instead of having the old fashioned pyramidic business structure, we've got a very flat structure and people are empowered to do what they believe is the right thing at any given point. And they're given the control over their own work, they're given the capability to do the job. And then we've got the, uh, you know, the, the, the understand, the clear strategy and the guiding sort of tramlines of what we're trying to do to help them do that. Um, so with that view in mind, we, we ended up take, adopting a pretty much a, what I would call a Zen approach to, um, to sort of business planning strategy. We sort of thought, well, you know, profits what's left over at the end of doing a good job. So let's just do the right things, turn up every day, do the right things by our clients, 
always try and do the right thing about a client, do the right things for their customers, and then good things will flow out of that. And, um, and that's, we've, 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 that's the philosophy. We've, we've, we've kept on with that philosophy. Um, it's gone pretty well. You know, I think we've, we've, grown, each, we've grown each year. We've, we've um, sort of rolled out the, the pandemic, which I think was, was, has been fairly horrendous for most businesses. It hasn't really affected us that, that badly. Um, and we've, we've gathered you know, more clients over that period. So it's been, it's been reasonably successful, you know, I think. And, and I, do, I do think it's one of the great fantasies in, in business life. You know, the world is so complicated complicated now, nowadays the idea that you can that you can definitely set off and you've got a strategy and you're going to do this that and the next and, and it's all going to come true for you is a bit is a bit um it's a bit foolish i think so you know having a having a more a more um you know we apply ourselves with energy to what we're trying to do but we're, we're definitely focused on trying to do the job right and rather rather than um you know do do something that's external to ourselves if that makes sense mm-hmm and when you speak about your clients, what sort of industries are they are they in? Well, that's a that is that is a good that is a good question. One of the, one of the reasons one of the reasons we got interested in sustainable in the first place is they've got a long track record working with energy companies. Um, I worked with SSE, the energy giant, for um, for twelve years, and um, and, I, and I still work with them. Um, and Centrica um, is one of who own British Gas is one of one of our clients. Um, Res, who are uh, you know um, the, the sort of bigger big renewables company, probably the biggest um, independent um, wind farm operator in the in the world. Um, oh, so we've got we've got a range of clients who are, who are very interested in sustainability. Um, other utilities, for example, Scottish Water, um, are one of our clients, and all of, all of all of these clients are very interested in sustainability. You know, people you know sometimes energy companies get get some bad press. But if you look at SSE, um, their sustainability credentials are impeccable. Um, in the post-war period, they built all of the hydro stations um, around Scotland you know, and contributed a massive amount to renewable energy before everybody knew what renewable energy was. And so if you take if you take all of that stuff together, um, you know, I think that we, we, we've, got a, we've got a strand of, of interest in our business and, and genuine experience across them. Some of the, some of the genuine complexities of the the energy industry in the UK. I mean, I, I don't know how much you're familiar with the industry in, industry in the UK, but if you if you if you tried to invent a more lunatic structure for running it, um, you possibly couldn't have. You know, it's and the way the way that energy is priced and all the rest of it. So so we've got a lot of deep um, deep knowledge of that of that sector, and um, that's really valuable to our clients, and um, because we can help them um, with their strategies and with the way they talk about the business and how they communicate with their with their customers. Now that you've mentioned the energy sector, I actually have quite, um, I have one specific question in relation to this, and I guess it also does apply to um, the rest of your clients in different industries, but I think, as you mentioned, specifically energy does come under a lot of scrutiny when it comes to sustainability. Mm. Um, Overall, there's a very, there's a lot of talk about um, greenwashing and a lot of talk about setting um, very ambitious targets without them being achieved. Um, how how are you managing this? Um, it's, a, it's a very good question. I mean, one of one of the one of the key things is we, we don't we don't endorse the greenwashing at all. I mean, when if you look at the fuel if you look at the fuel mix, even of somebody like British Gas, the predominant the predominant um, part of the mix comes from from green energy. If you look at SSE. Um, they've divested intentionally out of all of the, or they have a strategy divest entirely out of fossil fuels. So they're, it's, they're, they're, they're taking it it's very, very clear. Um, one of the, and this, this, is, this, is, this is not to downplay your, your, your question or your, or your concerns about this, but one of the big challenges 
in the if you if you want to focus on the energy industry in particular, is the is the complex structure of the UK energy market. Um, and it, it's it's easy to take a pop at the government, to be honest. But um, I think what you know we, we've still got a government still open, that's still trying to open coal coal um you know coal mines and all the rest of it. So. I mean, over the past couple of years, there, there's, there's definitely there have been there have been periods when the UK has got by at all without using any coal. Um, and the, the downside, the downside of it, and this is really about you know major industrial strategies and uh, at a massive um, governmental level. Um, part of the part of the sort of glide path towards a low carbon future, um, the, the UK managed to persuade itself that gas was the cheap way to do that. That, that was going to allow you know everybody to keep the lights on, industry to keep running. Because um, you know, the gas is used to generate electricity, um, and you've seen this. You've probably seen the shock to the supply side and the, the pricing side of gas over the past uh, few months. And it, and that 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 strategy was always a mistake. Um, you know, the the, the 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 shift towards clean green energy um, should have been made much faster and much much more rapidly than it has been. Um, and even if you look if you look at something like um, you know the strategy for investment in in green energy and clean energy you know for 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 offshore wind farms and for onshore wind farms and, and so on the, the structure the structures are not really there to reward investment in it i mean the, the marginal cost of, of green energy is very close to zero i mean once somebody's got a wind farm and the wind's blowing and um, the, the actual electricity is generated costs very little and that you think that sounds like a brilliant idea except of course that when people invest in it and they're really looking to get a return on their investment. And then the question is, well, if, if the thing costs very little, how do you charge for it? And, you know, so that, that then really puts you, brings you back full circle to government policy and, and, and how, how the, the development of the green industries can, and the green revolution can be incentivized and financed. And, and that's, that's, really, that's really the core part of it. It's, it's, it's not easy to lay, I mean, if, I think if you, were, if you were to talk to the energy company themselves, I, I don't know. I mean, Elfie is the SSE and Centrica, two of the, two of the biggest of the, 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 the energy companies. But I know, what they, I know what their views are. And their views are that the, that the industrial, um, the industrial um, setup, which allows the investment in renewable, in renewable energy, should be accelerated and should have been accelerated. Um, but they, you know, they, they they're not really in a position to drive that themselves because lots of that is down to is down to the sort of the the, the structure that's set up and it's set up by government. Do you think if the energy companies work together, um, especially now so many of them have gone bust, so there's less companies? Do you think that's something they could achieve as a market? Um, they do. I mean, the, the, you've got, you've got, you've got. The, the obvious, there are obviously they the, the have the, there are industry associations, but I mean, one of one of the real tricky parts. Of it, I mean, it's hugely, it's hugely, it's hugely regulated. Um, I don't know if you're aware of that, but um, all of the companies are regulated by Ofgem. All of the pricing that they have is agreed with Ofgem, so it's a, it's a highly controlled market. Um, and what the problem with the, the with the little energy companies going bust was at the was at the bottom end of the market. Um, the government always wanted people to um, be able to switch their energy supplier, and this this is, you know, you're really talking about the consumer end of the the energy market, the energy market, and you know, and it's it's quite difficult for people to imagine how the sort of industrial energy part of it is probably more important um, than the consumer energy part of it. And um, all of all of the little companies that have gone bust um, were set were set up to 
to bring competition into the, the market because originally had the big six, you know, the big five, big six energy companies, um, and they sort of controlled the market historically. And the government was the government was keen to drive competition in the market just to uh, you know to help control prices and to 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 uh, to give people more choice in the market. But of course, that doesn't that doesn't really happen um, for a couple of reasons. I think I can't remember the exact figure, but the average householder thinks about their energy bill for you know, a couple of minutes a year. You know, it's something something ridiculous like that. I mean, as you can, as you'd expect yourself, you know, you're sitting in your house and you're thinking about you know, when's my parcel being delivered. You know, why have my friends got COVID? Um, you know, what we do for my Christmas party? You know, all, all this kind of stuff. You've got all these sort of real world and um, day to day concerns. You're people about talking about getting how to get their kids to school. You know, what, what's happening in their jobs. So people tend not to think a lot about their energy consumption um, or their energy bills. And when they do, they, they realise, of course, it's a bit of a hassle to switch. And um, so the so the so there's a huge amount of um, sort of um, complacency in the market. The people tend tend not to move tend not not move around a bit. So those all of those little companies coming in at the bottom tend to compete on price, um, which puts, makes them very very vulnerable. And when the mark when the price they then charge the maximum price they can then charge to the customer is controlled anyway. So you you'll have, you'll have them all complaining about the, the cap on gas prices, and they buy they buy it they buy it in the wholesale market. Um, and then they, they can't compete, um, and they found themselves writ, having written contracts for for gas supplies, and the, the market price goes up, and they can't they can't uh, you know they, they've made promises to supply the customers, and they can't they can't meet them, and then they go bust. So that's part you know the whole that whole part of it is 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 again comes back to the way the market's regulated, um, and the, and the way that that's the, the the market is set up by government to function. Um, you know I think the energy companies themselves, um, at least the larger of them. Would have, would have had serious concerns about the the the, the smaller companies coming into the market. I think the, the, some of them were, were quite obviously um, financially fragile, um, and it's and it's difficult and it's complex. You know, there's a lot of there's a lot of complex trading goes on in the background, and you need scale and you need expertise to manage it. And it's and one of the things that that became become apparent over the past uh, couple of months is that it's a global it's a global market. There's a global market for gas. You know, we're thinking. Um, you know, we we're, the Brit, Britain Britain doesn't have a great um, a, a, any great gas uh, gas security. I mean, we've, we've we've deconstructed some of the large uh, supply. We had, we had some um, large reserves of gas at one point. We've, decon- we've deconstructed that. Um, so we're we're pretty much exposed to the international market, um, and that's why you've had this uh, you know quite terrible price volatility. And when the price cap comes to an end, the, the consumers are going to find that um, their energy bills are going to drop quite substantially. And it's and it's and it's lar- largely, you know, if you if you wound if you wound the clock back um, over the past you know decade, it, the, the 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 root of it comes down comes down to <clears throat> the reliance on gas as a as a cheap means of um, as a cheap means of of, of Making the energy transition to a low carbon future, um, that you know, that ga- gas, the gas, would, as we got rid of coal, gas would fill in, fill in the gaps, and as green energy came on, we could, we could turn the gas down a bit, and that hasn't really happened. That hasn't really happened. The, the green energy um, revolution just hasn't happened fast enough, you know, and the, the system just isn't integrated enough to make it to make it all function. Something that keeps co- getting mentioned uh, continuously is government regulation, and. Mm. What I find interesting and what I would love to hear your opinion about is um, I read that during COP26, Accenture conducted a survey amongst a variety of different corporates 
and only 18% of them said that they feel that there's enough guidance through government policy and through government regulation in terms of how they can become more sustainable and achieve net zero. So on one side, you have that where there is a massive lack of effective guidance, essentially. And then on the other side, you do have that regulation, for example, within the UK, within the UK energy industry, which is, um, as you said, is very regulated by, by government policy. Um, what's the middle ground, in your opinion? I don't think there is a middle ground. I think you know. I mean, I've said I've said this before. You know, this is this is a, this is an industrial scale, a global industrial scale problem. Um, and the the idea that an industrial scale problem um, can be hand, can be managed um, by individual companies and by the individual you know sitting, sitting in their houses is is complete hypocrisy. It has the parameters of it have to be set by government and the, and the whole leadership of it has to come from government and the incentives and rewards and the um, disincentives and punishments um, for, for doing for doing the right things have, have to come from regulation and so I think I think you you, you know uh, it would be it would not be a secret and I'm not a particular fan of the current, current government you know I think economically and um, and socially they're, they're not just inept but um, economically illiterate and uh, I think that that applies to energy policy. They hope they've been able to have your trying to have your cake and eat it. Um, you, know, you can't you know, say we're, we're going fully we're going fully um, you know after uh, the green revolution, the low carbon economy, while while we're still relying on cheap gas. Um, you you can't do the same thing while still trying to open coal mines. You know, it's just just. You can't have your cake and eat it. You have to have clear. You have to have clear guidance. This is where the country is going, um, and that that then brings you back to you know it's down to some the simplest of things like the scale space. You know, if you if you're talking, if let's say you want to have to have the electrification of the you know, of the car of cars in the UK, and would you bring huge benefits um, to cities? You know, if you imagine how quiet and and pollution free cities would be, um, but. For that to happen, we then have to install, you know, hundreds and hundreds and thousands and thousands of charging points. And you say, well, all right, so where's the skills base for that coming from? Where are the, where's, where, are, where, are, where are we retraining um, the guys who are currently gas engineers to fit, to fit um, electric charging points? All of that. So you're, you're down to the absolute fundamentals of the way so the way society is organised um, to to make this to make this happen. And you can't, you just can't really. Um, look to the companies to do it themselves. Um, they've got enough um, challenges on their hands to deal with the commercial pressures that we've got under the current regime. You know, so I think they have, there has there has to be a range of incentives to help companies do that um, and to make that to make that fast. I mean, loads of people are talking about it. Um, you know, one of our own clients, Scotch Water, have an absolutely robust and net zero plan. It's fully costed. Um, they know exactly what they're doing. They've got a roadmap to it. They will be um, the first. In the in the publicly owned body and publicly owned company, um, but they they will be the first in Scotland's public sector to achieve net zero, um, and sort of lead, lead that vanguard. But that is, that that takes an exceptional that takes exceptional an exceptional amount of focus and management to do that, um, and and clear and clear and clear and clear guidelines and and tramways as to how you're going to fund that in the future. You know how that, how how are you going to how are you going to achieve that, um, and that really that really is comes down to government leadership and um, and I don't think it's there. Yeah, that's a very good point. Um, we have spoken a lot about the UK, um, so I'm presuming that you're certainly based in the UK and, and your clients are as well. Um, 
<laughs> We've got a couple of clients who are international. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's sort of, yeah, we've got some international clients. Yeah. How do you deal with those in terms of, um, like, the different jurisdictions? Um, well, particularly the two that are energy as well. Or is your energy clients just solely UK-based? Our energy clients are only based in the UK, although, yeah. you know, Centrica is a, is a, global, is a, global, is a global business. And the, the interesting thing for me um, is, is that the, you, you would eat, even, even when you talk about different jurisdictions and different legislations and all the rest of it, you always come down to fundamental principles. You know, it's like, it's like Plato's old observation that the, the most successful human enterprises always have to contain the true, the good and the beautiful. Um, you know, you say, well, regardless of what the rules are, if you're not operating by the ab- absolutely sound principles and ethical principles and being honest and transparent about what you're doing, it will never work. Um, so regardless, regardless of the jurisdictions, I think that the, the, the same principles apply. I mean, the, you know, the same, you know, the, the same, the same kind of global warming um, effects are, are being felt all over the world. You know, being felt in poorer countries to some extent in the, in the southern hemisphere much worse than they are here. But you know, they, 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 this, these, these are global. These are global problems. You know, to pretend that you can, to pretend that you can, um, you know legislate or, or regulate to allow you to do things that are either counterfactual or are, are, are known to be going to have bad outcomes and it's just it's just ludicrous yeah. absolutely and i guess also slightly steering away from just the energy industry but um kind of encapsulating a variety of different industries all of which need to uh, factor in sustainability within their strategy um i think the main um, positive effects on the community and on the environment of a business being sustainable are fairly obvious. But to those who perhaps um, don't know so much about this, what would you say are the main uh, benefits of operating a business sustainably actually for the business? I know, I know it always sounds ludicrous to say so, but you know, it, it's, there, there's, I think, it, it, it's, it, people just don't realise how serious the problem is, I think, you know. Um, and some the best analogy somebody gave me recently was saying, you know, you know, you know when you turn on your oven and it sort of takes twenty minutes for it to come up to come come up to, to come up to heating, but it you know, to, to the full temperature, but it will so you know, it's it's like we're sitting here now and we've we've turned on the oven in fifty years time it will be two, two and a half degrees hotter than it is now. And that's that's what we've done. Um, and people go, yeah. So that that level that level of not people just not appreciating how how, how challenging the situation is. Um, you know that that's, that major cities will be will be flooded, um, will be inundated, and large parts of the planet will become uninhabitable. That you know there'll be huge movements of people. All of all of that stuff, um, you know, is all. It all sounds like you know doom and gloom and sort of a ter- terrible terrible scenarios. Um, but that's that's the reality of what's happened. So you, you talk you talk about what are the benefits to business. You know, I don't, I don't think it's necessarily a question of the benefits to business. It's it's the essentials of you know. Do you still want to be in business in, in the future? Do you still want to have customers in the future? Um, you know, do you do you like do you quite like the way society operates at the moment? Because um, that could change quite dramatically if um, if this carries on the way the way it is. You know, um, and you know, just to, to touch to touch on the in, energy industry industry again. You know, just you know, if if we don't if we don't look after this properly and set it up properly, you know, the the, the way the supermarket operates, you know, do we, if if there are 
going to be brownouts and um, you know and, and blackouts and there isn't enough energy to go around and all the rest of it. And then you know, you know the way you buy your frozen food, how's that going to work? You know, all all of the sort of really simple um, things that, that we take for granted in the way that society runs right now are all in peril if we don't if we don't sort this out. So the, the so the, bis- the the benefits of business are are really about sustainability. You know, if you and. And that's going back to the, the most the most simple definition of sustainability. If you would like your business to be able to sustain, then you need to have sustainability. I know this sounds, sounds ridiculous, but um, long term profitability and, and sustainability are are, are are exactly the same things in my mind. You know, and longevity of longevity of business and the ability to sustain your business and keep it in profit, and um, that's absolutely critical. And the 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 one thing that sort of um, does hamper us in this regard is and it's, and it's not a new idea is that the, there's far too much short-termism in business in the in well in the uk and, and then and then this the sort of stock markets generally you know big major companies report every three months they're, they're driven by by reporting to the stock market, market every three months and when you've got a 50 when you've got a 50 year time horizon um to look at you know we're trying to get you know to to the, you know, to later on in the century, even even you know, trying to have a net zero policy by twenty thirty five by twenty forty, those are those are twenty twenty year um, horizons, and to sort of then have all of your business operations tuned to the next three months, to the next six months, to the next year's annual report, and um, that just doesn't function. You know, this doesn't work. People are going to have to make serious um, investments now, and you know, take a you know, take a little bit off what they're doing just now, and. Um, Invest for, invest for what's best for the future, and uh, you know I think that that argument is is well and truly rehearsed. I think business leaders understand it, um, but it goes much further. It goes much further than them. It goes it comes back to the way that the, the capital markets work, um, and how people are rewarded and incentivized to do the things they do. Um, and I think all of that, you know, some of those fundamentals need to change. Yeah, I guess just one point that I'm quite curious to hear your opinion on with regards to longevity of strategy. I completely agree that short-termism is something that's still present and something that is not helping sustainability and, you know, becoming, um, and businesses becoming net zero. However, I have also read um, about, you know, criticism in regards to having very long-term strategies. For example, how, you know, currently we're trying to reach a net zero by 2050 essentially sure if those goals even are met or if in that period of time or even if there is a check-in you know with after 50 percent of that time has gone on who will the people who then still made that policy will they still be there and in the same positions to hold corporates accountable yeah that's that's a it it is a really good question there's a a famous chinese phrase you know the, the journey of a thousand miles begins with but a simple step and um, I think that's where that's where we are. I mean, nobody nobody is perfect. Nobody has nobody has really got any of the the, the genuine answers. But I think if we, if we are on a sort of twenty year strategy, you have to start, you have to start somewhere. And I think it's, I think it's fairly clear how you I think it's fairly clear how you start. Um, and the you know the, the, the scale the scale of the, the scale of the task and the longevity of the task isn't really an excuse for for, for putting it for putting off the journey. Um, I mean, if you look at the the the, the UN's uh, uh, development development goals, um, it's quite it's quite clear what the, it's quite clear what those are. So, if, if a company really wants to embark on that kind of, on that kind of journey, it's quite obvious how you go about it. You know, I think there's the you know 
step one, you know, understand what the sustainable development goals are. Two, how does it align with your own priorities? You know, what can you what can you actually act on now? Three, what's the plan for that? How are you going to report on it? And how do you, how do you then measure it as you go along? So it's pretty it's pretty clear to me how you how you go about it, and it's well it's well known um, how you go about it. And I think there's a there's a the, the long term thinking that has to come with it. I think it is critical. You know, one one of the things one of my clients said to me when they were talking about. Um, and this comes back to Scottish water. If you if you look at the UK's um, water infrastructure, it was it was largely built by the Victorians, um, and it was built um, by private enterprise. Um, and the, the, you know, it was had, had one had one immense um, and amazing effect. You know, the, the the decision to to split off drinking water from wastewater um, was was you know had had a dramatic effect. The people stopped dying of cholera. You know, it was it was quite it was quite dramatic. And and we're still sort of standing on the shoulders of those giants. You know, this is this is about people leaving a legacy. You say, well, you, will you still be around to talk about this in twenty, fifty years? And the answer is, um, you know, I'm hoping to be around in fifty years' time. But um, but you know, I think but you're talking about your legacy. You know, you, you've got to start now, lay lay the groundwork for what's going to happen in the future, and the people who come after you, um, and the young people like your, like yourselves, um, you know, not just a question of reaping the benefits, but actually of, of inheriting that, of inheriting the situation that the previous generations have done. And, it, and you know, you're obviously two, two young people, but my generation and previous generations have had it pretty good, to be honest. We didn't have to worry about any of this stuff. We took all, we took all of the benefits out of it. Um, and now it's our turn to um, focus on what, how, how we can leave the world and, and leave it a place where young people like you and you know, people around the world and it's a more equitable and more stable world than it is currently. So one of the ways that you're aiming to do this is through your Dare to Care guide. Um, can you kind of talk about that and explain what that is? Yeah, I mean, what we tried to do, what we tried to do is, you know, pretty much like the conversation we've been having today that people think, oh my God, you know, sustainability, where do you start? And it's all, it's all just about the environment, isn't it? And then it's too costly and it's too big and it's too long scale and I, I can't, bring myself to think about it and what we tried to do was in you know the thing's only 40 50 pages 40 50 pages long as a little book was to try and lay out for people the absolute basics of how to go about how to go about thinking about sustainability and to to try and put to bed the argument that you can't that you can't afford to be sustainable and that sustainability is an extra cost on business i mean you have have this sort of situation what what used to be called a greenium where if you wanted to buy your ethical products or you wanted to buy completely green energy or whatever, it would always, it would always be a bit more expensive and, and it always put consumers off. And of course, what what we what you found with companies like Unilever who have really good um, sustainability practices is that they've, they took about a, a billion dollars off their, off their, off their running cost of their business by thinking more clearly about um, and making their supply chains more sustainable. So there are genuine opportunities, not just to grow the business, but to control your costs by understanding the, the full range of risks that your business run in the short term and the medium term by thinking about sustainability. And the, the second part of it is about broadening that concept out from, well, sustainability is just about the environment, isn't it? Let's all just talk about climate change. And... We, we think that's, that, that, you know, the cl- climate change is a really, really important topic. But the other thing is, it is really about um, sort of the social dynamic of business and how they, can, how they interact with their customers and communities. Um, you know, if you want a sustainable business, then fundamentally you have to do what's best for your customers. And if you're, if you're, if you're, business, if you're in the business of making your customers ill 
they're unhealthy, then that's not good for any That's not good for your business now. Um, so, you know, customers and communities, the focus of that, you know, and then and then that brings you back to governance, you know, the three parts of ESG, environmental, social and governance, how business operates, you know, how is it, how, how are, how are the widest range of uh, opinions within within your customers and, and within your stakeholders uh, represented? You know that that classic um, mistake that Audi made of talking about uh, diversity and inclusion and about you know um, having about female representation when when a when a picture of a board was circulated and the board was you know a bunch of middle aged white men. Um, so you've got all of the, all of those parameters put together. So what we're trying to do is just explain that to people. And then just to, then just to talk about good practice, you know, we, we give we give um, you know half a dozen really powerful examples of businesses that have done exceptionally well, um, and by by transforming how they how they think about sustainability, and by trying to explain to people how it is that we think this works, because all of the evidence from um, from research and the academic community shows that you know, that businesses with strong sustainability credentials, those with good ESG and policies and practices tend to be better managed, uh, they tend to run better, they have better operational efficiency, and they tend to make more money. Um, and so the, the, we're sort of saying, well, well how, do, how does that work? And our, our take on it was that the, 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 when people embark on a proper look at sustainability, they, they've got a much better view of their, of the risks that their business runs. So what are the full pricing risks of the, the things of their supply chain. What are the reputational risks that apply to some of the things that they do? What about the what about the way you hire for the best talent? How, how do you re- get diversity and inclusion? Make people um, feel more at home working for you. All of those things tend to tend to lead to better performance. Um, so so that was that was our, that was our core thought about putting that putting that putting that together. Um, and it is a it's a sort of point of it is a sort of point of dis- difference for our business. You know, we are we are a business. It's like a, it's like anything else. We hope to we hope to attract some new customers by talking about this stuff. And um, it's we are a communications business. We think there's a way to talk to people about this. Um, and you know, I think somebody mentioned greenwashing at, at the top of, at the top of our discussion. Um, critically, you know, we're, we're really, really clear and passionate. You know, that the fundamentals of this are is about dealing with this as as, as a as a real part of your business strategy, it isn't just about trying to put a lick of paint over things and pretend that you've got the answers to things. We, we're really clear on the, the the terrible outcomes that come from people um, trying to talk about sustainability when their own when when they haven't taken put their own house in order. There was a we give an example of a, a very large fossil fuel company, and you can you can imagine how it ha- how it happens. You know, in a, in some you know, PR department or comms department in the, in the business, they say, let's put out a tweet asking people what they're doing to reduce their carbon and footprint. And they got slated, you know, people just went, oh, what are you doing? You know, <laughs> you're doing absolutely nothing. Um, and we know what your record is. Um, so you have to be incredibly careful when you go talking about this kind of stuff. And um, we think there are very simple guidelines that people should follow in that, you know. So I think that, that was what we attempted to do here, not only just give people the background of, um, you know, sustainability, the argument for why it's a benefit for a business, but also a few simple practical guides as to how, how to go about, um, you know, thinking about your sustainability policies and strategies and how to put it into operation. And I guess uh, something, just to backtrack a tiny little bit, um, something that you spoke about is about governance, so the G in ESG. And mm. um, I'm just curious in terms of... Um, 
especially in the, t- talking about the UK and directors' duties in terms of the way they manage the company and how they have to have regard for a variety of different factors, including the environment and community. But still, the f- most focal point of that duty would be to run the company in a way that benefits the shareholders. Um, I think it's inevitable and it's very obvious that running your business, that running the business in a sustainable way is financially beneficial. But are there ways, for, do you think that that's very crystal clear? Or do you think that there are ways in which directors still ought to be incentivized to actually factor the environment or and the community within which they operate in a more cohesive way and not just think about how that can benefit the business, but actually that becoming the focal point? Yeah, I think that's, I think you're absolutely right. I think one of the, one of the downsides of the way business runs at the moment, um, and it comes, it comes back to the thing we talked about earlier on about you know the, the sort of the overlying structure of the way things happen, um, and the, the sort of the the, the organisational principles <clears throat> of of society and industry. Um, there's a, the old you know I think it was the economist, the terrible economist Milton Friedman said you know the business of business is business. Um, and the, the pure pursuit of profit is with the pure pursuit of profit within the law. I think that's what he said. Um, and what you end up with is a situation where people do well. You know that 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 sort of policy framework just says, well, I can do what I can as 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 much as I can as long as I can get away with it. Um, and that's a really that's a really bad way to operate. You know, there's loads of there's loads of examples where that just does not work. You know, people end end up in end up in jail. Um, not often enough, frankly, but um, that that does that does happen, and I think one of the one of the key things is that the, the change of mindset that you suggest. You know, that people need to stop looking at the the, the short term, the, the mighty dollar for the short term, you know, and, and think more clearly about what's good for your customers, is good for the business, what's good for communities, is good for your business. But it takes a, a sort of wider consideration of your your entire stakeholder community rather than just you know, what's good for the shareholders. Um, and I think most shareholders are beginning to see the light in this. You know, I think there's there's enough people, there's enough people of, of coming from a coming from a, a new generation of investors who think this isn't all about me, you know, for for you know, if if this was a if this was a zero sum game and um, the 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 only point of um of of investing was was to make money. Then there are lo- there are loads of things that you that you think that would be highly profitable and, and questionable and that you just want 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 to do, want to you know pursue pursue money at all costs. But that but no, I don't think anyone really thinks of that. You know, you do get the occasional nutcase, to be honest, and who have, who have no moral scruples. But the vast majority of people aren't like that. The vast majority of people um, want want to see businesses operate responsibly. Responsibly, they want to see businesses operate in a way that is good for the communities. They don't want to see large multinationals ripping through, um, you know, natural resources. They don't want to see them abusing communities. They don't want to see them breaking the law. And all of that stuff, you know, eventually comes back to bite you. And um, everybody knows that. Um, and so I think most most responsible um, investors, most responsible um, business people. Think that that's that's the way it should be. Um, you you always get individual mavericks, um, and they, they do tend to be mavericks. It tends to be the um, you know, sort of I'm going to say the self-made man, um, you know, and just to show that shoddy workmanship still exists, they, they're usually awful people. Um, but you know that's 
that's the the the, gen, the genuine structure of business is you know need, needs to be set up in a way that enables people to care more for their customers and communities rather than just a short term reporting of, of how much money they made for their shareholders this month. What are your future goals and ambitions, and where do you see yourself in five, ten, maybe even fifteen years? Uh, that's a great. That is a great question. Um, I was reading recently the retirement age is likely to move to six to eight. So you know, in a few years, I might, I might be, I might be hitting that age. So um, I think that would be, that'd be quite, quite, quite a good thing to do. Um, I mean, I, I th- to be, all, all, all kidding, all kidding aside, you know, I think um, I don't really have a grand plan. Um, I think that this goes back to the thing I talked about earlier on, where you know, you can't, you can't really shape the world to your own desires unless you're a nutcase. Um, you know, um, and even then it won't work. Um, so I, I think you know, I, I'm hoping to carry on doing what what I'm what I'm doing. I'm hoping to carry on doing the right things, um, trying to grow the business in a way that's responsible, um, trying to help our clients in a way that's responsible, trying to support my staff in a way that's responsible. So I'm, you know, I'm hoping, I mean, you always, when you run a business, you're always under the you're, you're always thinking you know there's there's a lot of people that rely on you to go and get a shop at the weekend. Um, so yeah, you've, you've got to try and do what you can to protect the business, to grow the business, develop it. Um, so that's that's what I'd like to do. Um, I'd like to, you know, I'd like to be in a position where the business is is, is going is going well, and that we're, we've got good relationships with our clients, and the work the work that we're doing in the in, the, in on a day to day basis is having a good effect in, in the community and in society. Um, and I don't think you really ask ask for more than that. Um, Five, 10, 15 years. I mean, I've probably been in the marketing business for about forty years. So I, th- I think I've maybe. I don't know if I could do another ten or fifteen years. Um, so, but yeah, if, if I'll, let, I'll let you know. Come back to me in fifteen years and ask me again. Well, thank you so much for, uh, for joining us. This podcast has been a great discussion, um, and thank you very much. For good at your Saturday as well. No, you're welcome. Oh, thank you, Stasia, and thank you, Saskia. As usual, the links to Always Be Content will be in the description of the podcast, so please make sure to check them out. And if you are a sustainable business listening to this, please feel free to get in touch to join us for the next season.